Amen. All right. Well, you were there in Acts chapter number 8. And uh, before we get started, let, let me say this. Last week, we began a, a brand new series entitled Accelerate Your Growth. And uh, we started with this idea that uh, being born again is just the first step, right? We looked at that, what, what we can learn from the term being born again and the fact that uh, salvation uh, is, is something that brings us into the family of God. And, but the idea is that we're born babes, and God wants us to grow, and God wants us to mature. Well, this week, we're going to learn about the next step after salvation, uh, which is baptism. We learned last week about being born again uh, is the first step, and then, of course, and then this week, we'll talk about the next step after salvation uh, being baptism. Now, let me, let me say this, because, you know, you may be sitting there saying, oh, baptism, I already know about baptism. Uh, last week, I brought this verse up, and I'll bring it up again, Philippians 3.1. You don't have to turn there, I'll just read it for you. It says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same thing to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. It is uh, safe to learn and relearn and rehear these things. And I, but I, I do want to say this, uh, you, you may need this sermon whether you, you say, well, I've already been baptized or I know about baptism, you may need this sermon if you fall in two categories. And really, all of us should fall in these two categories, but some of us are uh, more obedient than others, right? You're still a child of God, but maybe you're not as obedient as you should be. But uh, here, here's, you may need this sermon if you fall into these categories. Number one, if you're not sure that you've been scripturally baptized. Uh, maybe you've never been baptized. You know you've never been baptized. You definitely need the sermon. But maybe you've been baptized, but you're not sure if it was scriptural. Because this is what you need to understand. Uh, not all baptism is right. You know, we need to learn to pattern ourselves after the Bible and what the Bible says. And if you're not sure that you've been scripturally baptized, I like to use that term because what I mean by that is the, that your baptism followed the scriptural uh, precedent or, or pattern put forth in Scripture, then, then you need to listen, you know, because maybe baptism is something that you need. But maybe you're here today and you desire to teach or you desire to be able to answer questions to your converts uh, about baptism. Maybe you're a father or a mother who has children that are either going to be saved soon or are already saved, but you're not really sure how to explain baptism today. Well, you need to listen to this morning. And look, all of us should be seeking to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of us should have new converts in our life that we're trying to help and disciple. And if that's you and you're trying to minister to others, reach people, then you need to have a plan for how to explain baptism and how to answer the questions about baptism. Just like we teach you when you go out soul winning to have a plan uh, where you're going to explain salvation. Well, guess what? Once they get saved, you need to have a plan to explain baptism. And there's a lot of false teaching and a lot of false doctrine about baptism. You need to have an, uh, an answer for those questions. So I want to give you some of those thoughts this morning. So if you need to be baptized, take notes. Listen up. If you've been baptized, but you're a soul winner, you're reaching people, you have children, and you need to explain to them baptism, listen up, because uh, we're going to go through and teach you some of these things in regards to baptism. And it might not be anything new that you've never heard before, but it, like I said, it's, it's good for us to hear these things again and again. So let me say this. Let's start with this uh, number one. For those of you taking notes, uh, point number one this morning is this. Let's talk about the characteristics of scriptural baptism. The characteristics of scriptural baptism. What does scriptural baptism look like? And the question you need to ask yourself is, 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 is not, have you been baptized? The question you need to ask yourself is, have you been scripturally baptized? What Does your baptism meet the scriptural requirements for 
uh, baptism. So let's talk about the characteristics of baptism uh, and what baptism scripturally should look like. We're there in Acts chapter 8, of course, a famous passage. If you look at verse 26, I'll give you just a little rundown of what's going on just so you get the context. Acts chapter 8 and verse 26, the Bible says this, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip. Now, if you don't mind writing in your Bible, I would write right next to Philip, I'd write the word the soul winner or soul winner, all right? Philip is the soul winner. And um, so the Bible says, And the angel Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia. All right, so next to Philip, you wrote the, the, the term, the soul winner. Next to a man of Ethiopia, you should write this term, the sinner. The sinner. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia... An eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot and read Isaiah. All right, now that's the New Testament spelling of the name Isaiah, uh, the prophet. All right, so he's reading. He's, he was returning and sitting in his chariot and read Isaiah as the prophet. So right there, you got to write this term: the scriptures, the scriptures. So we have the soul winner, we have the sinner. We have the scriptures. And by the way, these are all things that are needed in order to uh, fulfill the Great Commission. Look at verse 29. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran hither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? The Bible says that the carnal man cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God. Uh, so, and this, this man here is unsaved. He, he, he doesn't, he's reading Isaiah. He desires to know what the Bible says, but he, does, he, he doesn't understand it. And, and Philip says, understand is that what thou readest? And he said, how can I accept some man should guide me? And by the way, there are people all over this community that would love to know what the Bible says if someone would simply go to them and explain it to them. And that's what soul winning is. When we go out with the Spirit of God, with the Word of God, and we explain to people and we guide people in the Word of God. Notice verse 31. He desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. Now, what happens here for the next couple of verses is we get a quote from the book of Isaiah. And if you want to just jot this down, this is for your own records or your own references. What's being quoted, what he's reading is Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 through 8. So if you want to just write that down just so you know where the quote's coming from. He's reading Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8, which is a prophecy, a very famous prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice verse 32. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb before, dumb before his shears, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? Now notice verse 34. That's where the quote ends. Notice verse 34. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Because Isaiah 53 verses 7 or 8 is talking about someone who's being taken to be put to death. And he's not resisting. He's not fighting. He's being taken there uh, for the sins of mankind. And, and, and the eunuch, not understanding what's happening in the story, he asked Philip, he said, is Isaiah saying that this is going to happen to him? Or is Isaiah saying that this is going to happen to some other man? Notice verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Right next to verse 35, you ought to write these words. Soul winning. We've got the soul winner, we've got the sinner, 
We've got the scriptures, and when you open your mouth and begin to expound upon the word and it begin, it begin to explain salvation, we've got soul winning. That's what's happening in this passage. Look at verse 36. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What does hinder me to be baptized? The word hinder means to stop. He said, What is stopping me or what is keeping me from getting baptized? So he has a very specific question. What is hindering or stopping me from getting baptized? Look at verse 37. And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said. It's always interesting how in the Bible, whenever someone gets saved in their heart, they always respond with their mouth. He answered and said. He called upon the Lord. He confessed with his mouth. Notice, he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Next to verse 37 there, you can write the word salvation. Salvation. We've got the sinner. We've got the soul winner. We've got the scriptures. We've got soul winning. And it all results in this idea of someone getting saved. We have salvation there. Now, if you don't have a King James Bible, that verse 37 may be missing from your text. All right, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Some of these modern Bible uh, translations will literally just cut out Verse 37, and then they'll go verse 34, verse 35, verse 36, verse 38. So if you ever have a question, you know, do, is my Bible the right Bible? Just turn to Acts chapter 8, and if, if it's missing verse 37, then you've got the wrong one, all right? Make sure you get a King James Bible that's got the entire Word of God there. But we see that he got saved. Now, I want you to notice, the question was, was asked, what does hinder me to be baptized? He said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And the response was, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Notice verse 38. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. So now what was hindering him is no longer there. He said, what's hindering me from getting baptized? He said, well, you got to believe to get baptized. He said, I believe. And then he says, all right. And then in the next verse, they go down and he baptizes them. What we can learn from this passage and the first characteristic that I want you to understand, and, and, and write this down. If you need to teach this to your children or you need to teach this to a convert, you say, how do I teach someone what proper baptism is? Number one, the first characteristic of baptism is that baptism should come after salvation. Baptism is after salvation. Very clearly we're told here, what hinders someone from getting baptized is a fact that they need to believe. And if you were baptized, if you were baptized before you were saved, then that is not scriptural baptism. Now, let's say this. If you were baptized as a baby, that's not scriptural baptism. You weren't saved. Okay, babies don't believe. They don't understand They don't call upon anybody. And and the Bible teaches that babies, when they die, they go to heaven. You know why? Because they're not condemned. The baby is not condemned. Therefore, they don't need salvation. They they are still in that uh, 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 stage of innocence where they do not understand. And God does not hold them accountable until they understand the law and sin and things of that nature. So here's what Jesus said. Baptism as a baby is not scriptural. But let me take it a step further. Many people will come to our church... And they'll say, oh, you know, I was saved 10 years ago, but I didn't understand, you know, eternal security. I thought you could lose your salvation. And when I came to this church, I got right on that. Well, look, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings and I'm not trying to break your heart. But if you didn't, if you believe that you could lose your salvation based on something you did, you weren't saved. 
All right, you are still trusting in the fact that I'm saved as long as I don't rob a bank. As I'm saved as long as I don't commit adultery. I'm saved as long as I don't commit suicide. And listen to me, all those things are bad. But if your trust, if your faith was, I'm saved as long as I don't, then you weren't saved. And if you were baptized before you believed in the eternal security and you understood that once you're saved, you're always saved. And I'm not saying that everybody who didn't have it explained to them perfectly isn't saved, but I'm saying this, if you believe you could lose your salvation, you weren't saved. Amen. And your baptism is not scriptural. You need to be rebaptized. Another one is if you believe you have to repent of your sins to be saved. You know, and we talked about these things last week, so I'm not going to go into a lot of detail in it. You can listen to last week's sermon. But we saw last week that repenting of your sins... Turning from your evil way, according to God, is worse. And you might have came to the church and said, man, I didn't realize that. I was taught I, taught I had to turn from my sin. I was taught I had to repent of my sins. And when I got here, I learned the truth that it's not repenting of sin that, that saves you. It's, if there's any repenting, it's repenting of unbelief. And like I said, I went into that very thoroughly last week, so I'm not going to go into it again. But if you got here and you said, I used to think I had to repent of my sins, then you weren't saved. And if your baptism was before that, look, baptism is after salvation. Baptism is after you believe. And in order to be scripturally baptized, your baptism must come after salvation. And, and, and you said, well, I didn't really, you know, I didn't really understand all that. Or I'm not saying everyone who doesn't have the doctrines thoroughly outlined aren't saved. That's not what I'm saying at all. But when people say, no, you can lose your salvation if you, you know, turn away from God. Hey, that person's not saved, my friend. That person needs to believe on Christ and put all his faith and trust. I was just reading uh, the, this morning, or yesterday, I think it was yesterday, in Ephesians chapter 1, where the Bible equates salvation to trusting in Christ. And if you think you can lose your salvation based on something you did, you're not trusting in Christ, you're trusting in yourself. Which means your faith is in yourself. So what's the first characteristic of baptism? Scriptural baptism comes after salvation, meaning you're all your faith, all your trust, all of it is in Jesus Christ. Number two, what's the second characteristic of baptism? Are you, if you're there in Acts chapter 8, look at verse 38. Notice what the Bible says. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water. Once you notice, they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. Notice verse 39. And when they were come up, out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Keep your place there in, Acts, in the book of Acts. We're going to come back to it, but go with me to the book of Matthew. So keep a ribbon, a bookmark, a bulletin, something in Acts, and go with me to Matthew. Matthew is the first book in the Bible, and the New Testament should be fairly easy to find. Matthew chapter 3, look at verse 16. I want you to notice in Acts 8 that they went down into the water. They came up out of the water. In Matthew chapter 3, we have the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was baptized as an example for us to follow in his footsteps. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16, the Bible says this, And Jesus, when he was baptized, notice, went up straightway out of the water. Do you see that? Now look, in order to come up out of the water means you first go down into the water. And here's what I want you to understand. The second characteristic of scriptural baptism is that baptism should be by immersion. You go down into the water, you come up out of the water. You go down into the water, you come up out of the water. That's the only type of baptism that you find throughout the entire Bible. Now, did you keep your place in, in, keep your place in Matthew, all right? 
And if you've got your, uh, your place in Acts, I need you to be in Matthew and Acts. But keep, keep your finger in Matthew. We're going to come right back to Matthew 3. But go to the book of Romans. So if you're in Acts, just one book over is the book of Romans. And look, today you have religions that will teach you that you can have water poured on you, and that's baptism. You can have be sprinkled, and that's baptism. But listen to me. The Bible teaches that baptism is by immersion. You go down into the water. You come up out of the water. That's the only scriptural baptism there is. Now look, I'd, lo- I'd, I'd love it if the Bible said that you could sprinkle people. Our baptism would go would skyrocket. I mean, I'd just stand at the back door after church with a spray bottle and just spray everybody on their way out. It's like every, every week we've got 100 baptisms, you know. I mean, that'd be great. You probably wouldn't even notice. I'd just walk up behind people and just spray them. You know, I got a little squirt gun and just squirt with them. I wish that was baptism. You know, it's harder to get people in the water. You know what I mean? But scriptural baptism, baptism that follows the Bible is being baptized. When you go down into the water, you come up out of the water. You say, well, why, why does it matter? Why does it matter? Well, number one, it matters because that's what the Bible says. All right? That's enough. But it matters because there's a picture there of baptism. Are you there in Romans chapter 6? Romans chapter 6, look at verse 3. Romans chapter number 6 and verse number 3. I want you to notice what the Bible teaches in Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. The Bible says this, Know ye not, know ye not, that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. Therefore, we are buried with Him by baptism into death. Baptism pictures several things about the Christian life. But I want you to notice what the Bible says. Look at verse 4. Therefore, we are buried with Him by baptism into death that, if you don't mind writing or underlining in your Bible, I'd like you to underline these words. Like as. You see those two words? Like as. Therefore, we are buried with Him by baptism into death that, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Notice verse 5. For if we have been planted together, underline these words in your Bible, in the likeness. Do you see that? Underline those three words. If we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also, underline these three words, in the likeness of of his resurrection. We're told that we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now let me use an illustration, and I've used this illustration a lot in the past. So if you already know it, don't, don't, uh, don't, don't blur it out. But let me ask you a question. Who knows, does anybody have any idea who this guy is? Anybody know who this guy is? Well, this is my son. What's his name? Anybody know his name? Is it Joel? Is it Joel? Or is it Joshua? Which one is it? Who knows? How well do you know the pastor's family, right? Okay, here you got, you got one, one guy. Here you got another guy, all right? Both of these are my sons, okay? Which one's Joel and which one's Joshua? Who knows? Who, who votes that this is Joel? Raise your hand if that's Joel. All right, okay, all right. Who, who votes that this one's Joel? Raise your hand if you think this one's, this one's Joel. All right. Who says, who thinks this one's Joshua? Raise your hand. Joshua. Okay. Who thinks this one's Joshua? Raise your hand. All right. So, so here's a question. Is this Joshua? No. Still not good. Okay. Let me, this, is, this, 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 is, this is Joshua. A picture of Joshua. All right. This is Joel. My two sons. All right. So everybody clear on that? This Joshua? No. Yeah? Is this? You guys are not a sharp group. All right. I'm just going to stop asking you questions. Just listen to what I have to say. 
Now, here's the thing. Is this Joshua, yes or no? Is this Joel, yes or no? Are you sure? All right, guys, come on up. Look at these sharp-looking guys. Come on up quickly, quickly, quickly. Sense of urgency, sense of urgency. Sit up, sit up. Look, look, no, look. Get on the side so people can see you. Get on the side so people can see you. All right. No, 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 this way, son. This way, right here, right here, right here. You're good, you're good. All right, okay. Who knows who this guy is? Who knows who this guy is? Now, let me ask you a question. Is this Joshua or is this Joshua? Is this Joel or is this Joel? Here's the thing. These two things here, this is what Joshua looks like. In fact, the reason that we go and put them in these nice suits and go to J.C. Penney's and get these pictures taken and put them on, a, on, on our wall is because one day Joshua's not going to look like this. And, and we want to remember what he looked like, right? When he was, how old are you, Joshua? Nine. When he was nine, right? How old are you, Joel? Seven. When he was seven, all right? This is what they look like. This is the likeness of Joshua and Joel. This is the like ass. One day I'll be able to look at this picture when I'm an old man and say, That's, look at my sons. Look at these good-looking boys. Just a chip off the old block, right? They look The like ass of my son Joel. The likeness of my son Joshua. But here's the thing. This isn't Joshua. And this isn't Joel. It's just a picture. It's a picture of Joshua and it's a picture of Joel. This is Joshua. This is Joel. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, guys, good job. Go have a seat. And here's the point that I'm trying to make. Baptism is not salvation. Baptism is a picture of salvation. Baptism pictures or illustrates what salvation is. But you can't look at baptism just like I can't look at these pictures and say, oh, those are my boys. No, no, no. Those are a picture. Those are the likeness. Those are a figure of my boys. My boys are sitting over there. And baptism is a picture of salvation. That's why in Romans 6 we're told it's the likeness. It's the like as. And baptism by immersion pictures salvation because here's the thing. When someone gets baptized, when they go into that, 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 that tank and they're, they're sitting there upright and the water crosses their body, that's a picture of the cross. When that individual goes down into the water, that's a picture of the death. When they come up out of the water, that's a picture of the resurrection. See, when someone gets baptized, what they are saying is, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried, and rose from the grave as a payment for my sin. It is the picture, the likeness, the like as salvation, but it's not salvation. Do you understand? It's not, you don't need baptism to save you. Because if I had to get baptized to get saved, that's works. That I'm doing something in order to be saved. Baptism is a picture, therefore it must be by immersion, otherwise you mess up the picture. And let me say this, not only does baptism picture the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, baptism also pictures the new life of the Christian. Because notice what the Bible says. Verse 3, Know ye not that so many of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism to death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, notice, even so or in the same way, we should walk in newness of life. See, what you're saying when you got baptized is that you're saying... What happened in my heart when I got saved is that the old man was put to death and a new man was resurrected. Doesn't the Bible say, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature? 
Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's what baptism pictures. The old man was put to death. The new man was resurrected. It's a new start. I can begin a new life. I'm born again. Isn't that what we talked about last week? Being born again is a new life. Baptism doesn't get you born again. It just pictures you're born again. Just like when a baby is born, you often go and get, you know, newborn what? Pictures, right? To remember the fact that they were born, you know, and we take pictures of our kids every year, you know, to remember the fact, you remember them as they were and and remember uh, uh, what they look like. But here's what I'm just saying. Baptism should be by immersion because it is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Go back to Matthew chapter number 3. While you turn there, I'll read for you out of Colossians 2. Colossians 2, 12 says this, Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And they, those guys did a good job. Let's give them a round of applause. Would you do that, please? Good job. I had to threaten them to get them up here. They didn't want to come. No, I'm just kidding. Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter number three. Let me give you the third characteristic. If you're, when you're teaching baptism to your new convert or you're teaching baptism to your child, you say, what do I teach them? Well, you teach them that baptism is after salvation. They have to be saved before they can be baptized. Number two, you teach them that baptism is by immersion. You go down into the water. You come up out of the water because it's a picture of salvation. But number three, the third characteristic, baptism should be performed by someone of like faith. Baptism should be performed by someone of like faith. Are you there in Matthew chapter 3? Remember I told you to keep your place there? Go back to Matthew chapter 3 and look at verse number 13. Matthew chapter 3 and verse number 13. Matthew 3.13 says this, Then cometh Jesus. Remember we read about the baptism of Christ already. We're just reading before that. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. Of who? Of John. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer. The word suffer is an old word. We don't use it a lot anymore. In this way, it means allow. Because John was a very humble man. So John, John, Jesus says, hey, I need you to baptize me. And he says, man, if anything, you should be baptizing me. You know, he said, and he said, I, I can't do that. Look at verse 15. And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer. He says, Allow it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all... Why don't you notice this word, righteousness? See how the first part of the word it says right? Here's what he's saying. I need you to do this, John, if we're going to do it right. To fulfill all righteousness. And then John, the Bible says, Then he suffered him. He allowed him. Now, here's what I'm saying. When Jesus was baptized, he could have been baptized by any number of religious leaders. There's all sorts of religious leaders that lived during the lifetime of Christ. There was priests, there was Levites, there was a high priest, there was lawyers, there was scribes, there was Pharisees, there were Sadducees. All sorts of religious leaders that Christ could have gone to to say, hey, will you baptize me? But Christ needed John the Baptist to baptize him. Why? He said to fulfill all righteousness. And why was it? Because Christ and John were preaching the same faith. They were preaching the same gospel. Jesus did not want to go to a, a, a religious leader that was teaching a different gospel and a different faith than the one that he was preaching. So look, it matters who baptized you. It matters where you get baptized. People often come to me and they'll say, I was baptized in a Pentecostal church. And if you're here to, uh, this morning and you're Pentecostal, I'm not, I'm not ripping on you. But, you know, here's the problem with, be, with Pen- the Pentecostal movement of today, uh, or that, that's ever existed, is this. They believe that you can lose your salvation. 
I was baptized in a Pentecostal church. Here's the question I got for you. Do you believe you can lose your salvation? No. Then why were you, then, then why were you baptized? Why are you identifying yourself with someone that believes that? People have came to me and said, I was baptized at a Jehovah's Witness church. Are you a Jehovah's Witness? No. Jehovah's Witness don't believe in the deity of Christ. Jehovah's Witness don't believe in hell. Jehovah's Witness don't believe in, in a, lo a lot of things, you know. And, and, and if, you weren't, if you're not a Jehovah's Witness, then don't get baptized by a Jehovah's Witness because baptism identifies you. So, and I, look, I, I don't think people need to go on a witch hunt, you know, and figure out every little thing that the pastor who baptized me, you know, was he right on the, on the tribulation, was he right? I, I don't think, but look, they need to be of like faith and practice. They need to believe in, uh, my, my, you know, minimum standard is, you got to at least be baptized by someone who was saved, you know, who believes in salvation by grace through faith, not of works, all right? So if you can look back at your baptism and say, the guy that baptized me definitely wasn't saved, or the church that baptized me definitely wasn't uh, teaching the right gospel, then you need to be baptized, because Jesus made a big deal about it. In fact, when John said, no, Jesus fought him on it and said, no, 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 this does matter. He said, suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. It does matter, because baptism identifies you. And we're not going to turn there, but in 1 Corinthians we're told that the children of Israel, that church in the wilderness, when they passed through the Red Sea, I think we saw it last week, they were baptized unto Moses. Baptism identified them with Moses, and baptism identifies you with Christ. So, are you, you know, there are many people who preach a different Christ today. So, you know, what are the scriptural characteristics of baptism? Number one, after salvation. Number two, by immersion. And number three, baptism should be performed by someone of like faith. Now listen, don't take that too far. Not everybody agrees 100% on everything. Not everyone in this room agrees 100% on everything. I don't agree with myself 100% of the time. You know, sometimes you ask, you know, you ask me a question and I'm like, well, I, I think this and I think this and I think that, you know. Hey, I, I'm not saying that they've got to be exactly the same, but you've got to be right on the, on, on at least salvation. You've got to be right on the message of faith in the gospel, you know, and I think that's why Jesus made a big deal about baptism and who it was that baptized him. So you're there in Matthew. Go with me to the book of Mark, Mark chapter number 16. So I said, number one, we saw the characteristics of scriptural baptism. What are the characteristics? It's after salvation. What are the characteristics? It's by immersion. What are the characteristics? It's, um, it, it, it has to be performed by someone of like faith. And like I said, they don't, I don't even necessarily take the stand that they have to be Baptists. I'm just saying they have to be saved. They have to be believers. Number two, let's talk about the confusion of scriptural baptism. We've talked about the characteristics of scriptural baptism. Let's talk about the confusion of scriptural uh, baptism. And there are some verses that are often twisted to try to preach a false gospel. It's getting a little warm in here. If we could turn the air on, guys, I'd appreciate it. Mark chapter 16, I want to just quickly give you some of these. Because if you're a soul winner, look, as a soul winner, I've been soul winning, I think, I don't know how long I've been soul winning now, like, that I've been given the gospel, me personally, I've been sowing like 20 years or something. Um, and, uh, and, and when I've been out soul winning, I've had people bring up every single one of these passages to me to try to prove that baptism is part of salvation. So if you're a soul winner in this church and you're out preaching the gospel, at some point people are going to bring these passages up to you. So I want to show you some of these passages and help you uh, have the answer that you need to have in order to be able to answer what the Bible teaches about these things. Uh, so I'd like you to take notes on these. And these are 
scriptures that are often confused in regards to baptism. Now, let me say this. It's not that the scriptures are confusing, it's that people confuse them. It's not, there's nothing wrong with the Bible. It's often it's just there's false prophets twisting scriptures. So let's, let's look at them real quickly, and we won't spend a lot of time on this. We'll move on to the third point. But I want to just show you these, and I want you to make note of them, especially if you're a soul winner. Or if you want to talk to an a, a unsaved family member who's maybe in a religion that teaches that baptism is part of salvation... Uh, there's many religions out there that say you must be baptized in order to be saved. So let's look at some of these passages of what the Bible says. Mark 16 and verse 15 is the first uh, con- confused text that I want to show you. It's not confusing, it's just confused by many. Mark 16, and look at verse number 15. In verse 15 you have the Great Commission. It says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. Notice verse 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And people will often take that statement and say, See, the Bible says that you have to believe and be baptized to be saved. It says, And he that believeth and, should be, and, and is baptized shall be saved. Now you say, Well, how do you refute that? Now, let me explain this. There's hundreds of verses all throughout. I mean, just go from Matthew through Acts. There's hundreds of verses in just those books that teach us that salvation is by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, period. And they don't mention baptism. So they, you know, so they got the one verse that mentions baptism and they want to throw away everything else. Here's the thing. If this one verse is the way you get saved, that makes all the other verses wrong for leaving it out. That makes John 3.16 wrong. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Where's baptism? You know, when, when they were asked, when, when the Philippian jailer asked Paul, what must I do to be saved? And he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Paul taught him the wrong gospel because he forgot to mention baptism. Okay, so you got one verse that mentions baptism. And people say, see, you got to get baptized to be saved. But look, it's easy to refute because the problem is you just didn't read the verse in its context. Right. Reading a verse in its context means you look at the passages before, the passages after. And if you're not sure about the context, can you at least finish reading the verse? Right? Because look at Mark 16 and verse 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But that's not where the verse ends. But he that believeth not shall be damned. Okay, so according to Mark 16, 16, what damns you? What condemns you? Not believing. Not believing. Does it say he that doesn't get baptized will be damned? No, look, it's, all, it's always about belief. And of course, baptism should follow salvation. And if you can get baptized the same day you got saved, that's the best thing that you could do. That's the best way to do it. But listen to me, it, it, it's not wrong that it says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Because the clarification is, But he that believeth not shall be damned. If you don't believe, that's what condemns you. If you don't believe, that's what sends you to hell. You're there in Mark, go to John chapter 3. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John chapter 3, look at verse 18. Mark chapter 3, verse 18. It's very clear in John 3, 18. When you study the Bible, you must study it within its context. It's got to fit with the rest of the chapter, with the rest of that book, with the rest of that testament. You can't just pull one verse out and make it say something. When there's other verses that could seemingly contradict that, you've got to go with what the Bible teaches in the majority and realize that you may be looking at that one phrase wrong. Because as he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but, but he that believeth not shall be damned. John 3.18, very clear. He that believeth on him is not condemned. How do you get not condemned? By believing on Him. Isn't that exactly what Mark 16, 16 said? But he that believeth not, 
is condemned already. Isn't that exactly what Mark 16, 16 taught? Why is he condemned already? Because he did not get baptized. Is that what it says? No. Because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. See, it's belief that saves you. It's faith that saves you. And if you believe on him, you're not condemned. If you believe not, you're condemned already because you have not believed, because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So it's easy. So if someone brings that verse up to you and says, see, baptism is needed for salvation, you just ask the question, well, what, what is needed to damn you? What is needed to condemn you? According to Mark 16 16, but he that believeth not, but he that believeth not shall be damned. So what, what's, what's the point? You've got to believe to be saved. And if you don't believe, that'll send you to hell. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he had not believed the name of the only begotten uh, uh, Son of God. You're there in John 3. Let's look real quickly at John chapter 3. Look at verse 3. Now, I talked about this last week. So I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. But there's, there's another text that is often twisted to try to preach that you need baptism for salvation. Like I said, I went into it specifically last week because last week uh, the whole sermon was about the term being born again. So we're just going to look at this really fast, but I, I just don't want to skip it because it is a text that is commonly brought up in regards to trying to teach that baptism is part of salvation. John chapter 3, look at verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The only way to get to heaven is by being born again. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? He doesn't understand the question. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? He thinks Jesus is referring to two physical births. You get born physically, and then you go back as an old man into your mother's womb. I don't think your mom would like that, okay? You go back into your mother's womb, and then you're born again. Is that what you're referring to? And be born. Notice verse 5. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except the man be born of water, okay, that's the first birth that's mentioned, and of the Spirit, that's the second birth that's mentioned. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. He said, the only way to enter the kingdom of God is to have two births. A being born of water and a being born of the Spirit. Look at verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's the first birth. In verse 6, he's explaining to us the first two births. He says, look, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's the first birth. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. That's the second birth. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. He's telling him, look, you don't have to be born a second time physically going back into your mother's womb. He said, the two births are these births, a flesh birth, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and a spiritual birth, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And he's explaining to us that when he said, except a man be born of water, that's the first physical birth. And of the Spirit, that's obviously the second spiritual birth. And we talked about last week, the fact that a woman will often know she's in labor because her water broke. And we understand that the water and the gushing of water is a big part of uh, physical birth. And that's what Jesus is teaching there. And again, if you simply look at the context, because they see the word water and they're like, that must be baptism. But notice what word is not in, in John 3, 5. You know what word's missing? Baptism. <laughs> they just saw the word water. And they assume that's baptism. But if you look at it in its context, you'll see that in verse 6. In verse 5, he mentions two births, of being born of the water, being born of the Spirit. In verse 6, he mentions two births, being born of the flesh, being born of the Spirit. Obviously, if you just read in its context, it's very uh, easy to understand that the water birth is a spiritual birth. But just because you see the word water doesn't mean it's baptism. The Bible refers to the Word of God as being washed by the water of the Word. And I'm not saying that that's referring to the Word of God. I'm just saying you can't look at the word water and just run with that and assume it's baptism because it doesn't even say the word baptism in the 
passage. So let me give you the third text that is commonly used uh, to to try to prove baptism. Go to Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter number 2. I've had a lot of uh, Pentecostals actually bring this verse up to me. Out soul winning. Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. Acts chapter 2. So I want to teach you what these passages are really teaching, meaning if you have any doubt on it. But of course, I want you to be able to teach others also, right? Be able to explain these passages to other people when you're out soul winning, when you're out explaining the gospel to your loved ones. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Acts 2, 37 says this. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Now I want you to notice, it's a separate, you know, because people often try to equate this to the question of the Philippian jailer. But the Philippian jailer said, what must I do? Here he said, what shall we do? Those are two different questions. There's a lot of things you should do or shall, you know, there's only one thing you must do. Look at verse 38. Then Peter said unto, him, unto them, repent and be baptized. Now notice what it says. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So people will take that verse and say, see, right there. It says, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. See, you've got to get baptized in order to have the remission of sins. Now, again, if that's what the verse says, then we might as well just throw the Bible in the trash and go home and do something else. Because if, if the Bible is teaching in Acts 2 that you have to be baptized for the remission in order to have the remission of sins, then John 3.16 is wrong, then John 3.18 is wrong, then you know, hundreds of verses all throughout the Bible are wrong that don't mention baptism as part of salvation. So you say, well, what's going on here? Well, look, whenever you find a contradiction in the Bible or something's not adding up, it's probably you who's not adding up, okay? It's probably you who have the problem. Now, when it comes to the English language, let me say this. In our English language, and you know, many words will have multiple definitions. All right? There's many words that the same word means multiple different things. And I want you to notice in this verse, the word for is the key word. Because notice what it says, Acts 2.38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. Now, if you look up, and I'm not saying in a Bible dictionary, I'm just saying dictionary.com. I'm saying just any Webster's dictionary you've got laying around. You look up the word for, and you'll find that the word for in the English language has multiple definitions. Let me give you two of them, all right? One definition for the word for is this, in order to obtain, gain, or acquire. In order to obtain, gain, or acquire. Let me give you an example. In a sentence, someone could say this, to work for wages. If someone says, I'm working for wages, what are they saying? They're saying, I'm working to obtain, I'm working to gain, I'm working to acquire wages. Now, if we add that definition, if we give that definition to the word for in Acts 2.38, then the Bible is teaching a work salvation. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, to obtain, to gain to acquire the remission of sins. If that's the definition you choose to give it, then that creates a work salvation verse that contradicts hundreds of other verses in the Bible, and we've got a problem. But there's another definition for the word for. The word for commonly is defined as this, because of or by reason of. Some of you have pictures at the post office that say wanted for murder or whatever, right? Now, hopefully you don't. 
But, but the word for is often used in that way. When you see that, you know, that old Western picture that says wanted for murder, what is it saying? Wanted because of murder. They're not wanted to obtain or gain murder. They, they already did it, right? They wanted for, because of. That's the reason we want them. Why? Because of murder. Now, if you give that definition to Acts 2.38, what does it say? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, because of the remission of sins. For, re, be, uh, uh, for the reason of remission of sins. Is that work salvation? No, that's actually what we teach. Why should you get baptized? Because you got saved. Why should you get baptized? Because of the remission of sins. Because you've been saved. Because your sins have been forgiven. Now here's the choice you've got to make. You've got two definitions you can give to the word for. One fits perfectly with the rest of Scripture. One creates a contradiction. You choose. And today you've got people say, well, I don't care what all the other Bible verses say. It's got to be baptism is needed for salvation. No, I think it's baptism is needed because of salvation. Because what's the first characteristic of, of baptism? It's after salvation. And why should you be baptized? Because you've been saved. Why should I be baptized? Because of the fact that I've been saved. Because of the fact that I am, that, that the remissions of sins, that I've been remitted of my sins. So, again, if you look at these verses and you just think about it, and here's the point. If you've got one verse that seems like it teaches one thing and you've got hundreds of other verses that teach something else, <laughs> Number one, you've got to go with the majority text. You've got to realize that probably the 100, 200 verses that teach salvation by faith, without works, are correct, and you must be misinterpreting this one. And don't just go and create a whole new religion based on one verse. Okay, that's always the wrong thing to do. But if you just look at it logically, it makes sense that there is maybe another answer. Let me give you the, the last a text that is often used uh, to try to promote baptism as part of salvation. Go to 1 Peter chapter 3. If you start at the book of Revelation and go backwards, start at the book of Revelation and go backwards, you go past Jude, past 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd, and 1st Peter. So you go Revelation, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd, and 1st Peter. 1st Peter chapter 3. 1st Peter chapter 3. Here's the, here's the, the other passage that gets brought up a lot to try to prove that baptism is needed for salvation. 1st Peter chapter 3, notice what the Bible says, verse 20. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 20, which sometimes were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. All right, so we're using, we're talking about Noah. Peter's talking about Noah and the story of Noah and the flood. While the ark was a preparing, when few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. So they'll see that saved by water and say, baptism. Now, here's, here's what you need to understand. Look at verse 21. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Now, in verse 21, it mentions baptism. In verse 20, it mentions water. They were saved by water. Notice verse 21, the like figure. You see the word figure? What's the word figure mean? I'll give you a hint. It's a picture, right? A figure is something that looks like something else. You can see my figure in my shadow. All right? Now, notice what he says. It's interesting how when baptism comes up, these ideas of likeness, figure, come up with it. Verse 21. The like figure, whereunto even baptism does, not, does also now save us. Uh-oh. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but of the answer of God, uh, 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 the answer of a good conscience toward God. Notice what he says. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
say, well, that sounds like it's teaching that baptism is required for salvation. But look at the verse, all right? Look at verse 21. In the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. I want you to notice that there's a parenthesis there. Do you see that? Everybody see the parentheses? Parentheses, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of God, of a good conscience toward God, comma, parentheses. Everybody see that? Parentheses, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now let me read for you the rules, the definition and the rule of parentheses, all right? The definition and rule of parentheses. Because look, the Bible is a book. Do you know that? It's the Word of God, but it's a book. And sometimes what we need to do is just get educated on how to read the, the book, you know, and, and get acquainted with our own language and, and learn what the, what, what, just the rules of grammar and the rules. So let me read you, to you the parentheses definition and rule. Here, here it goes. This is not from the Bible. It's just from the Internet. You can use parentheses to enclose information that clarifies the sentence, right? So often in a sentence, you'll have, if there's parentheses, it's a statement that clarifies the sentence. Whatever the material inside the parentheses, it must not be grammatically integral to the surrounding sentence. Okay, here's what that means. Whatever information is inside of the parentheses, it is not needed or required in order to make the sentence around the parentheses a complete sentence. The sentence is a complete sentence without the parentheses. The parentheses and whatever's in the parentheses is just put there to clarify what the sentence says. Whatever the material inside the parentheses, it must not be grammatically integral to the surrounding sentence. If it is, the sentence must be recast. This is an easy mistake to avoid. Simply read the sentence without the, parenth the parenthetical content. If it makes sense, the parentheses are acceptable. If it doesn't, the punctuation must be altered. And here's what he's it's trying to teach you how to use parentheses. But here's the point. If you can read the sentence, you should be able to read the sentence without the parentheses, and it's a complete statement. Everybody follow what I'm saying? It's a complete sentence. If you read it without the parentheses, whatever's between those two parentheses is not there to alter the sentence. It's just there to clarify what the sentence is saying. So look at 1 Peter 3, verse 21. Let's read the verse without the parentheses. Now, please don't misunderstand what we're doing here. The, it's all the Word of God. All right? I'm not telling you that's within the parentheses and not the Word of God. What I'm telling you is that the parentheses, the information there is meant to clarify what the sentence is saying. And you could be able to read the sentence without the parentheses, and it's a complete statement. So let's do that. 1 Peter 3, 21. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You say, what, what in the world? Here, here's the point. What does baptism picture? The death, burial, and what? Resurrection. What is it a figure of? The death, burial, and resurrection. What saves you? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. What saves you? The fact that I place my faith in Jesus Christ and the fact that he resurrected. Now here's the thing. In order, just like in order to be baptized, you got to go down into the water before you can come up out of the water. In order for Jesus to be resurrected, guess what? He first had to die. But if he would have stayed dead, then that would have just meant that he was just a person like you and I. The fact that he resurrected shows us that he is God. And the Bible says here, look, baptism is a figure whereunto even baptism does also now save us by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What saves you? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Isn't that consistent with the rest of Scripture? Amen. You say, well, what about the parentheses? Remember, the parentheses are there to clarify the statement. 
The people who teach that you have to get baptized to be saved, what do they teach about baptism? Here's what the vast majority of people who teach that you have to get baptized to be saved teach about salvation. They teach this, that the water washes away your sins. Who's ever heard that before? That the water washes away your sin. Literally, that's what they teach. And by the way, many false religions teach that. Last week, I preached a sermon on Hinduism. I, uh, I was talking uh, uh, with, with Vijay and Joyce after the service. They were telling me that and even in Hinduism, there's a special river they go into and they dip themselves in and they come out and they believe that the water washed away their, their sins. And they believe that baptism is needed for salvation because when you go down in the water and you come up out of the water, it washes away your sins. Well, notice what's interesting. Let's just read the parenthetical statement that's meant to clarify the whole thing. Notice what the Bible says. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. So they teach you need baptized to, to put away the filth of the flesh. And the parenthetical statement says, no, let me clarify something for you. Salvation is not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Amen. You say, how do you get that? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So again, is this verse teaching? Look, at best it's teaching that baptism is a figure. It's teaching, which is whatever, what the rest of the passage teaches. And what's interesting about the story of Noah is these people are trying to say, like, well, they were saved by water. Here's what's interesting about Noah. They, Noah never got wet. That's the whole point of the story, is that they didn't go underwater. That was the whole point. Okay? So, again, is, is this verse teaching that you need to get baptized in order to be saved? The answer is no. When there's hundreds of other verses, and we could take the time to go through them, but we're not going to. You can study that on your own. Salvation by grace, through faith, not of works. Very clear. We talked about it last week, so I, I don't want to go there a lot. But I wanted to help you out with this. So what do we see? Number one, the characteristics of baptism. What's scriptural baptism? After salvation, by immersion, by someone of like faith. What are the, what is the, we saw some of the confusing texts about baptism. Not that the texts themselves are confusing, but people confuse them. But let's, uh, let me just real quickly, we'll, we'll be done here very soon. Go back to Acts chapter 10. Let me give you point number three, the command for scriptural baptism. The command for scriptural baptism. Acts chapter 10 and verse 44. Acts chapter 10 and verse 44. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 10 and verse 44. Actually, look at verse 47 just for sake of time. In this passage, we see people that just got saved. And in verse 47, Peter says this, Acts 10, 47. Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? Verse 48. And he, notice this word, commanded. You see that? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. I want you to notice when Peter taught on baptism here, he did not suggest to them that they should be baptized. He didn't, you know, say, I think it might be a good idea. He commanded them. What does it mean to command? It means to order. So here's the point that I want you to understand. Baptism is not an option. It's a command. Baptism is not an option. It's a command. And you don't get to choose whether you want to do it or not. I was talking to one of my sons about baptism. I was actually kind of surprised, you know, I didn't, I, I thought I was going to have to feed him some of these answers. And, you know, I talked about salvation, obviously he understood salvation, got all those answers right. But I said, hey son, when you got saved, what did you become? And I thought he was going to say, a, a Christian, a son of God, a child of God. And I was going somewhere else. But, you know, I guess when you talk to, you know, seven-year-old boys, they all have, they, they just have one thing on their mind. Because I said, son, when you got saved, what did you become? And he said, a soldier of Jesus Christ. 
<laughs> I said, yeah, absolutely. That's what the Bible says. You know? And I said, if you're a soldier of Jesus Christ, what does that make Jesus? My commander? So if, if your commander gives you a command, is that an option? No. Well, look, the Bible commands you to be baptized. And you know what? You, if you got saved, became a soldier of Jesus Christ. And you've got a captain. You've got a commander who commands you to be baptized. It's not an option. Say, so, well, if I don't get baptized, am I still saved? Yeah, salvation is not by works. But you don't get to choose. God, God says you, should be, you need to be baptized. He says, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, then prayed him to carry, uh, to, to carry certain days. Baptism should be done after salvation, but it needs to be done. It's commanded by God. It's not an option. It's a command for scriptural baptism. But let me say this. You're in Acts 10. Go to Acts 16. Acts 16. Not only should baptism, not only is baptism not an option, but baptism should be done immediately. When should I get baptized? As soon as possible after salvation. When should I be baptized? As soon as possible after salvation. Acts 16, verse 25. Acts 16, verse 25. And at midnight, this is a famous story we've been alluding to the whole sermon. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praise unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And I want you to notice, Paul and Silas get thrown in prison for preaching the gospel. And notice, they're not down in the dumps. Oh, woe is me, suffering for Jesus. They put me in prison. I'm so sad. The protesters came. No. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. They were rejoicing. They're happy. They're glad. And sing praise unto God. And the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. So that the foundation of the prisons were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open. And everyone's bands were loose. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep. And seeing the prison uh, doors open, he drew out his sword. And would have killed himself, supposing the prisoners had been fled. Because in those days, if you lost a prisoner, they, get, you, they took your life in exchange for the life that you let go. He, this guy's getting ready to kill himself because he thinks all the prisoners uh, escaped because of the earthquake. Verse 28, but Paul cried with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, get baptized. Is that what it says? No. They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved in thy house. See, all you have to do to be saved is believe. But I want you to notice something. When did this whole story happen? What time is it? Look at verse 25. And at midnight. You see that? It's the middle of the night. The earthquake happens. Middle of the night. That's why he was sleeping. You know, and he goes in. He says, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Verse 32. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord. That's the scriptures, right? You see how we have the sinner? We have the soul winner. We have the scriptures. And to all that were in his house, they preached it to, to his family members too. Verse 33. And he took them the same hour of the night. What hour is it? According to verse 25. Midnight. The same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized he and all his... You see this word straightway. You, see, you know what the word straightway means? Immediately. When did this guy get baptized? Immediately. When did he get baptized? Straightway. The same hour of the night. What time was it? Midnight. He said, look, it's midnight. I just got saved. I want to get baptized. I said, let's baptize you. Because baptism should be done as soon as possible, after salvation. I'm not saying, you know, if you got saved at midnight, you know, don't call me at midnight ask me to baptize you. <laughs> I mean, I will, <laughs> you know. But, uh, but you know, I, I'm just saying it should be done as soon as possible, as soon as possible, after salvation. Acts 2.41, last place we'll, we'll look at. Acts 2.41. Baptism identifies you. 
Baptism identifies you with Christ and his church. Baptism identifies you with Christ and his church. We believe that to be a member of Verity Baptist Church, you have to be a born-again, baptized member. A born-again, baptized member. Do you have to get baptized to be a member of the family of God? No. But do you have to get baptized to be part of our church? Yes. Why? Because that's what the Bible says. Acts 2.41. Notice what the Bible says. Acts 2.41. And they that gladly received this word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Added unto who? The church. How were they added? When they received the word, that's salvation, but also when they were baptized. They got saved, they were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. You say, why? Because baptism identifies you with Christ. It identifies you with the church. That's why it matters who and where you get baptized. It identifies you with whoever you got baptized. And look, if you're sitting here today and you haven't been baptized, you need to be baptized. And you know, the biggest problem that a lot of people have is, they're like, oh, well, I was already baptized as a child. Or I was baptized a long time ago, and it was before I was saved, but I'm embarrassed to get baptized. And I, I don't want to bring up the whole story again, but several weeks ago, or a couple of weeks ago, I, I preached a sermon about Baptist heritage, and I went briefly into the history of, of Baptist. And I just want to remind you that the way that the, our people got their name, the reason that our people are called Baptist is because of the fact, not that we were promoting baptism, we were promoting rebaptism. We're promoting the fact that if your baptism is not scriptural, you need to be rebaptized. And they were called Anabaptists. And eventually the term Anna was dropped and they were just called Baptists. So don't sit here and say, well, I was already baptized. Is it weird to get rebaptized? Or if you see like an adult getting baptized, and it's like, well, didn't that person, you know, it's, it's kind of weird that they're getting baptized. No, no, it's our Baptist heritage to rebaptize because baptism matters. It identifies you with Christ. It identifies you with the church. It identifies the fact that you've been saved, and if you were saved before, that's not scriptural. So don't let that stop you. Don't think, you know, we rejoice when adults get up. And I'll often say, like, this person was baptized as a child, or this person was baptized, but, you know, they now realize that they didn't, don't have to repent of their sins, or they now understand that they can't lose their salvation, and they're coming for scriptural baptism after salvation. So I want to encourage you, if you need to be baptized, get baptized. Say, when? Right now. This very hour. Say, can, can I do it now? Yeah, do it now. We, we got everything you need. We got the towels. We got the shorts. We got the shirts. We got the robes. We've got the hair dryers. We got everything you need. If you want to get baptized, we'll baptize you this hour. Say, what do I do? Just come talk to me, Brother Stuckey, Brother Oliver, one of the ushers after the service. Hey, we'll baptize you. You say, when should I get baptized? As soon as possible. You need to be baptized. It's important to God and it's important for your first step, your first step in the growth of being a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's pray right and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. And thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be able to be, be re, uh, reassured of these truths. I know that they're not new to many of us, but Lord, help us to remember the importance of baptism. And help us, Lord, to be uh, thorough in explaining baptism, Lord. And I do ask if there's anybody in this room that needs to be baptized. Maybe a child that's been saved, but they haven't been baptized. Lord, I pray you give them the courage to get baptized, even today. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, please uh, just help us, Lord, to be a church that emphasizes scriptural baptism and teaches properly what baptism is. We love you. In your precious name I pray. Amen.